somebody help me say thank you to all these good people. Wonderful, Jesus. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Ooh, all right. Okay. I mean, there's pockets of joy. Not saying you couldn't have done better, but there's always room for improvement. I repeat some things sometimes, and I do that on purpose, in case you're wondering. Some things that I repeat, I repeat because I want them to become ingrained into our understanding. I want them to become part and parcel of uh, the culture of our, of our lives, of our church. And one of the things that uh, I am repeating is this. The more literally we interpret the Word of God, the more likely we'll be faithful to the will of God. And when we say literal, we, we, we want to, obvious, in case you want to say, hey, what do you mean? In case, we obviously mean in, we want to interpret it literally where and when the author and genre intends us to be literal. Mountains don't dance, trees don't clap, water might sing, but it just doesn't sound like, right? So uh, one of the ways that I would like us to hear this idea of interpreting the word literally is interpreting the Bible or responding to the Bible with a sense of urgency. Can you say urgency? We want to we read the word and respond with a sense of urgency, not panic, huh? not, not, um, not fear, not worry, but urgent. We have this sense of great importance. And, that, and if we'll bring that attitude with us to the word that 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 inspires us to say i'm th- interpreting it literally is like this really means what it says and so with that attitude we come and we hear these introductory statements these statements that help us that frame our approach to the book of revelation blessed are everyone who reads and hears and heeds these words so we, we, we come at this passage, this text, with that sense of urgency. We, that, we really, that, he really means that. What is, it's like coming at him, wow, what, what if that's really true? What if, there's, what if I'm about to encounter or receive blessing for hearing this and heeding it? That, and that, that creates that, whoo, that, with that posture that causes us to lean into the text with anticipation. Ta-da! There it is, urgency. Okay? Then... Let everyone who has an ear to hear, hear or listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So that's that. We come at this with that urgent sense of, wait a minute, this text is claiming that, that as we are reading this, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. There, that's that sense of urgency. And now we have kind of, postured or prepared ourselves to respond to this uh, literally and urgently. Are you ready? Here it is, uh, Revelation chapter 1, this now in, in verses 1 through 6. Today we're reading the letter to the church at Sardis. Are you ready? Here we go. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says... 
I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive. They had a name for themselves. They had a reputation for themselves. They, they, they had somehow branded themselves or come up with this thing that we're Sardis and, and we're definitely alive. Now, my staff made a, 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 a Aaron, I should say, made an made a actual thought. Well, I, since, he, since I said it, he made a graphic. So there's their church sign right there. <laughs> Sardis Church. We're definitely alive. It was, it was, their, it was their media. It was their, it was their, that was their Twitter handle, hashtag definitely alive. Um, I know your deeds, that you have a name, you have, you have a name, a reputation, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard. I think it's going to be important for us to, we'll come back and repeat that, but right now, what does the Lord want us to remember? What we have received and what we have heard. That's going to be, that's going to help us respond to this later. And keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and, and you won't know what hour I'll come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk in, with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now again, we want to eavesdrop with care. That we're really doing that in, in a way. We're eavesdropping. We are reading other people's mail. But Jesus wants us to do that here. And not with your neighbors, but we he wants us to we are we are intentionally reading letters to other churches. And as we eavesdrop, as we listen, we want to learn from the principles that we see here without intentionally borrowing their problem. What, this, what we're reading is true of them, and it was intended for them, and it's also intended that we listen. So we, li we listen, and we should reflect on what we hear. We should reflect on what problem they have. We should ask, what can we learn from this and how might we be warned by this? And how can we be encouraged by this? And at the end of the day, if the shoe actually does fit, then we wear it. And we respond accordingly, right? So here's what it says. To the angel of the church at Sardis, right? Sardis was... Uh, Sardis was a great city. Historically, Sardis uh, was a, a, a city of great wealth and fame and power. They had a name. And it was a citadel. It was built on a hill. It was surrounded by cliffs and walls. They were a, they were a big shot. And it was also noted for its immorality. The festivals to its pagan deities were as base, gross, uh, licentious, and immoral as any city in all antiquity. 
Now, the church at Sardis, they, they didn't seem to suffer from persecution. They didn't seem to suffer from internal you know, division. They didn't have any Jezebels or Jezebobs. They, they didn't, didn't have any Balaams or Nickelodeons or Nickelodeons or anything like that. They, they didn't even have cable TV. By all appearances, the church at Sardis was comfortable, harmless, acquiescent, and dying. And then it's addressed like this. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is going to be important for us, and we want to remember that each time the Lord speaks to one of these churches, in His introduction, He reconnects with chapter 1. He, he reconnects with some aspect of how John saw him. He recon, in His own self-disclosure, He includes a characteristic that can, not only connects to chapter 1, but it always connects with something he is addressing with that church. Today in particular, I think it's important that we recognize that because I believe it will help us interpret what was going on and how we might respond. This connection to chapter 1 to each church is both a literary and a spiritual reminder that it is the same Christ who speaks to each church. But also, again, this is there, it, it, it communicates something he wants to address. So here's two things in his self-disclosure Christ says. First of all, he says, he is the one who holds the stars. He, he grasps, controls, and holds the rights to each church. Then he says, he has the seven spirits, the seven spirits of God. That doesn't mean that there are seven different spirits of God. They're not, they don't all live in a house with little hats and, you know, dopey and sleepy. And it's not that. Seven, again, is a metaphor. It's a symbol, and it means fullness. As a matter of fact, one way of reading this, and your Bible might have a footnote that said, the sevenfold Spirit of God. What is Jesus saying? Essentially, he is saying, I am the one who bears the fullness of the Spirit. I bear and I bring the fullness of the Spirit of God. The one who is taught, he identifies himself to this church. This is important, I believe, for us to respond well. I am the one who bears the fullness of the Spirit. And then he says to them, because I think that it is that nature of the Spirit that, that is what he wants to challenge this church concerning. So he says, he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead they had a name. They had a reputation for being alive, but they weren't. They may very well at one time have been robust. They might have had a great lively past. Whatever their situation is then, right now, Jesus says, you are dead. Oh boy, you're dead. 
This stirs up all kinds of assertions from folks regarding what this means. I mean, there, it, it has made for good and bad preaching for a long, long time. It makes for great books, articles, magazines, and conferences. Because here's the deal. Here's what it says. Uh, uh, people usually take whatever they understand to mean as dead and then place it right there on the text. You know why they were dead? I'll tell you why they were dead. Didn't sing enough hymns. <laughs> Didn't sing enough hymns. You know why they were dead? Had too many lights. Too many lights. You know what? You know what? You know what the main reason why they were dead? That, that preacher had an untucked shirt. Dead. <laughs> His wife's two shoes were too shiny. Dead. More often, though, it's something like this. Oh, they must, have had, they must have been lackluster in their worship. They didn't sing the right song. They didn't sing enough elevation songs. <laughs> Woo! Fun. This is sometimes just fun to pause. Anyway. They, they, didn't do enough evan- they, didn't, they didn't do enough evangelism. You know, they didn't pass out enough tracks. They failed to disciple others. Not enough, not enough, not enough navigator series. Or they, they, there's all kinds of things that folks have put on this, or anytime they talk about dead, they'll say, oh, that church is dead, and here's why. You know, they, you know, they got coffee and donuts. I guess the presence of God is not enough. We love the presence of God, but we also like donuts. Mm-mm. Yeah. I'll take care of the humor up here. All right. (laughs) The truth is, we can say any of those kinds of symptoms could have been in Sardis. Worship, evangelism, discipleship. It could have been all the above or any of the above. But if so... Those were symptoms of the creeping death and not the cause of it. I believe that we can learn what is meant by remembering how Christ identified himself and by seeing what John has written previously about life and death, and the difference. Once again, I want to suggest that some of the things we might hear, even as we approach this, the, this discussion of the church in Sardis, might be a little bit different than what we've explored before. But let's give some room for this reflection this morning. First of all, the sevenfold spirit. Jesus reminds them of the priority of the spirit in his own self-disclosure. As he reveals himself or he reintroduces himself, he reminds them of the priority of the Spirit. And when we read the Gospel of John, as he writes out the teachings of Jesus, John records these words from Jesus. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh Prophets, nothing. 
So John says, via the words of Jesus, that it is the Holy Spirit who is the source and sustainer of life, of our spiritual life. Apart from the Holy Spirit's infilling, apart from his influence and his power, our own flesh, our self-reliant religious endeavors, our polish and program accomplish nothing. So if the church at Sardis is dead, in view of how Jesus has disclosed himself and via the pen of John, we might conclude that the church at Sardis, having begun by the Spirit, we're now seeking to continue without him. And their death signs were symptoms of a shift in their attitude toward the Spirit. The root of decay, the root of dying, of death, is always a shift in our attitude toward the Spirit. Personally, congregationally, denominationally, when there is a shift in our attitude toward the Spirit, there is the, the decline in our vibrancy begins. For Sardis, it may have been that they were ignoring his presence. It may have been that they were quenching his voice. It may have been that they were grieving him by resisting his holy influence. They might have conjured up some sort of a, they might have been living more cavalier or more carnal or more harsh. Remember Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter four, he told them in verse two and three, he tells them to be diligent, to make every strong effort to protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So even how we are careful, we honor his presence even by how we protect the peace we share with one another. Now remember, this is John the Revelator who in his own gospel took time to also emphasize the words of Jesus about the Spirit even more so and differently than the other gospel writers. It is John who thought it was important that we hear that Jesus tell us that although he was leaving, he was going to send us the Holy Spirit, another helper, alas parakletos, one just like me who will do in your midst what I am doing. He will be your teacher, your guide, he'll be the evangelist, and he will be the supplier to you you of all that heaven has. We cannot overestimate the importance of a vital, dynamic relationship with the Spirit. And this is the central command here then is verse 2. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain and we're about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Here it is, wake up. Somebody say, wake up. Yeah. And I like, he says to the church in Sardis, you're dying or you're dead, right? But he says, wake up. He doesn't say, rest in peace. Rip, Sardis. He says, wake up. Do we hear this again? 
Just like Jesus do, does not delight or want punishment, he wants repentance, he does not want his church to die. He wants us to live. He wants us to wake up. You're dying, he says, but you don't have to. You can choose to stir yourself. They may have been in a spiritual coma, but they were not beyond the summons of Christ to wake up. and Strengthen what remains. Like Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, they could do, they could just follow this imperative. Stir up the gift of God. Kindle afresh the embers of the, of the Spirit in your midst. Because, he said, your deeds are not completed. You're unfinished. You're lacking. You have stalled. It's not just that there was more to do. They've just, because it, it's not just, oh yeah, there's more for you to do. It's you've stalled. You have pulled over. You've stopped moving. You have ceased to do or be. So remember, he says, verse 3, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Remember what you have received and heard. One more time, say received and heard. So we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage, we're going to engage in a little more systematic stuff here. We want to say, okay, we're going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So he's talking about life, and he says in, in, order to be, in order to wake up, he wants them to remember what they received, or we might say what you received by hearing. And the closest analog we have there is what Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Hear this. Paul writes this. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the, by the works of the law, by your own efforts, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or hearing with faith? Paul says to the Galatians, see if this sounds familiar, remember what you heard at first. And what you received at first, and keep it, and repent of anything else or anything less. And then with regard to Jesus saying their deeds aren't complete, Paul has told the, the Galatians. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you trying to complete your, by yourself? The Holy Spirit will sustain what he begins. And he will only sustain what he begins. And what he begins can only be sustained by him. We begin by the Spirit, and our only hope of staying alive I can't believe third time we've done this and we haven't even reached for that pun yet. Oh. 
Jesus, help us. Okay, our only hope of staying, I can't, now, now it's in there, now it's out, now it's in there. Our only hope of staying alive is to rely upon the Spirit. Our only hope of continuing to grow, our only hope of, of, being, of, of our life being sustained and progressing, of completing this course, is to rely upon the Spirit. So I believe, I do believe that this is what Jesus is intentionally wanting. He's wanting the church at Sardis to rely upon the Spirit give him pride of place in their lives. Verse, uh, verse three continues, therefore, if you don't wake up, I'll come to you like a thief and you won't know what hour I'm coming. And it might be tempting to go, oh, oh, he's talking about, talk, he's talking about that Jesus, his, his return, the return of Christ. Well, no, listen, he says, if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief. So this coming is entirely conditioned upon whether or not they repent. Let, let's just set our hearts at ease. When Christ does return, his return is not conditioned upon anything. When he's coming, he's coming. Ready or not, coming. Repent or not, coming. Awake or not, coming. But this is not that. He's saying if you don't repent, if you don't, if you don't wake up, I'm going to have to come and intervene. And he said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And that's what gives us, ooh, thief in the night. But here's the deal. Twice in the history of this city of Sardis, twice in their history, their city was sacked by invaders at night while their watchmen were negligent and assumed everything was fine. Jesus using, he's really using the, 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 the analog from their history. Don't presume you're safe. You're too near death. If you don't wake up, I'm going to have to come and intervene. But verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. And I like this. We're going to, we're going to stay with the Galatian uh, comparison here. They will walk with me. Someone say walk with me. How do we walk with him? How do we walk with him in white? How does our walk remain pure? Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The one who walks by the Spirit will overcome, will be clothed in white, walk in righteousness before God. This is the influence of the Spirit in our life. And then he says this, if you do, I, this is so important, last part of verse five, I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and his angels. I want you to hear the not and the will, just for good encouragement. I will not erase his name. I will confess his name. This is meant for us. This is meant to be a hope and an inspiration for perseverance. Friends, this, the, 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 the motivation for us to persevere in, our, in this text, in our trusting reliance upon the Holy Spirit, in our commitment to walk daily under His influence, one step at a time, is this confidence that it's worth it. He will not erase your name from that book but he will confess your name before all of heaven. Let him who has an ear to hear, 
Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. How can we respond to this today? I want to just share from my own heart what I believe presses upon my heart for, for, our, for my heart in this house. I feel like the best way, the, the most timeless way for us to respond to this word is for you and I, right here, to affirm our honor of the Holy Spirit, to affirm our confidence in him, to affirm our intentional surrender to him. There is a gravity throughout church history. There's a gravity in churches and in denominations to begin to to treat the Holy Spirit like um, an impersonal force that we just assume is present or he's just a doctrine. And there is an increasing, over time, reluctance or even a fear to recognize that, that he is God, very God, among us. And there is a seduction. It's not overt, it's not, it's not aggressive, but there is a seduction in every movement, every church and denomination. There is a seduction that having begun by the Spirit in every new movement begins with the breath of God. And then there is a seduction to slowly replace that raw, real reliance upon the Spirit and just sort of hit cruise control to begin to rely upon routines, to get comfortable with routines and religious mechanisms. And then sometimes we begin to lose that sense of sentiment, so we, so we, we begin to almost manufacture sentiment through our programs and our polish until over time, movements find themselves programmed and polished and powerless. Not just movements, but churches. Individual disciples. But the good news is it's not too late. It's never too late. If we can listen to the principle here, we have a Lord who says to us, wake up, wake up. Remember what you have received and keep it and repent of anything else, anything less. Scripture is ripe with strong, overwhelming encouragement for us to recognize and rely upon the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says we walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says we live by the Spirit. It also says we are to keep in step with the Spirit. 
Ephesians 4.30 tells us not to grieve the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us not to quench the Spirit. And ultimately, Ephesians 5 summarizes it all and says we are to be filled. He is not to have a place in our life. But he is to have pride of place in our lives. Be So this morning as we conclude, I wonder if perhaps the best way we might together respond to this is just to <coughs> ask ourselves, have we, are we giving him pride of place in our life and can we take however moments, however many moments necessary just to recommit and affirm our honor of his presence? Can we give him pride of place just in an act of worship this morning? Can we stand together and honor the Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit. sing this again, I want to just acknowledge this, the one or two or several or however many in the room that right now, I believe you can sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, drawing you, almost pulling you toward himself. It's not a voice of condemnation or shame. That is not his jam, but it would sound like him saying, son or daughter, come close. It may be that the Holy Spirit is, is wanting you to let go of other things you're clinging to so that you might more fully embrace him and be embraced by him. So we're going to sing this chorus again. And perhaps you might be some of those who just feel like you, you need to even come and build an altar. Just build an altar right here this, the front will be made wide open to you and we want to invite you to come if you'd like. And just honor the Lord with that, that movement of faith, that altar to say, Lord, I want to give you pride of place in my life. Come and fill me. Let's lean into God's presence together. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you
anybody feels like you need to go, you need to get your kids, you need to go on with your day, I pray you go in the fullness and a greater awareness of the Spirit. But we're just going to keep this front, this, air, this house and the front here in particular, just dedicated to giving pride of place to the Spirit of God. The Lord bless you. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own space.